Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use a little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Next Evo Naturals and Movers. It's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex Gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's nextevo.com slash MPT. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. What people don't always realize is he wasn't an Olympic doctor when when he commenced all of this. It, it, he was just a young guy in a small town wandering into a gym and asking to volunteer. So that's where I first met him again. I was eight. He was in his early 20s. We all had nothing but hopes and dreams and a positive future ahead of us, or so we thought. And that's where he set up shop and began rehearsing what was would become the activity, which we now know is sexual abuse, but at the time we thought was medical treatment, that would make him what will go down in history, I think, is one of the, the most prolific serial pedophiles of all time, at least in sport. Hi, survivors. I'm Taryn Yule. And I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode, down. Yes. You know, kind of like an up and down week though, right? It's been like, you know, well, Sarah, our our guest talks about it, but you know, this has been an up and down week for for both of us. Yeah, no, and I definitely have some dates coming up. Like tomorrow, the day that we release is Cash's second year of his death. And then this Sunday is my seven year survival anniversary. And then my sister is also in Lahaina. So you know, sending prayers and good thoughts out to her. Yeah, it's been a tough week. And, it, you know, obviously the fires in Maui, I mean, it's like, it's still, as I saw this morning, there was 1,300 people unaccounted for. So uh, we will have links in the show notes of today's episode for some places to donate. Of course, obviously the American Red Cross, but also Tara's uh, sister has set up a, a, a GoFundMe, I believe, for people to, you know, you want to make sure in disaster situations that your money is going to the right place because there's so many opportunists that are out there to just try to make a money grab, which is so unfortunate, right? When people play on other people's trauma. Yes, no. And I heard from her that there's a lot going out. This is kind of something that we talk about, you know, dead bodies, you know, dead bodies are now washing up onto the shore. So, you know, trauma dumping on you guys. (laughs) 
by the way, speaking of trauma dumping, we have in the store, which is my store, but it's also Survivor Squad store, we have the no trauma dumping t-shirt and racerback tee, which is like a tank top for ladies designed by Tara. I was like, I put the put it in Canva and then you've perfected it. <laughs> it's the miracle of Photoshop. So we'll have those when we're next week in Austin for the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival with Laney Hops. But we are also going to we're gonna we're gonna have some some things. We're gonna do some things and we've got some new merchandise and we're moving onward and upward and yeah. So why don't you tell us really fast who Cash was? For so audience. Cash was my dog that was in my attack with me. I got him when he was eight weeks old, and I believe around that time he was like six or five years old, and he, John actually had to get stitches because someone revived John and brought him back to life in a sense. not He wasn't there, you know, he, he didn't have yeah, brain activity, brain dead, yeah, brain dead. yeah, but he had to get stitches from Cash, and, you know, Cash's teeth were pretty dull, so that dog was with me till the end and then it was weird too because i've been in a toxic relationship before where the guy ended up hitting me with a car and cash actually passed away the same day he did Ooh. so it's a really interesting circle life is circadian as i always say and by the way terry you just trauma dumped on us today. <laughs> sorry <laughs> and that's why i'm wearing no makeup in here <laughs> <laughs> so so tara so so we have a guest Speaking of just, I mean, harrowing story. So she is a survivor of Dr. Larry Nasser, you know, who his crimes stretched over three decades as we came to find out from her. Yeah. And I want you guys to listen to this episode with sympathy for her and understand that if she doesn't hate her abuser and she doesn't just flip that switch, understand why, because these relationships are so complicated. Yeah. And I think she does a great job. And I think you, you mean to say, listen with empathy, right? And in really understanding yeah. that, and this is a complicated thing for me because it really resonated with me when she was talking about Dr. Nasser, because he, she even felt bad for him when he was attacked in prison a few weeks ago, Her because you know, she, he was somebody that she looked up to and that she had trusted in that relationship was with. And it's the same thing that I experienced with my father. So when we were talking, I really resonated with that because even though my father is this horrific psychopathic human being, he's also a human being. He's also my father. And they had such a, such a really good relationship leading up to before she realized that, that all this abuse was happening and she was coming to terms with processing it, she still feels this way. And she still has this, you know, I don't want to call it a soft spot in her heart, but she still feels for him because she's an empath as well, naturally. So yeah, listen to her without judgment. It's really hard. But if you haven't walked in those shoes, you don't really know until you know. And if you know, you know. And <laughs> to be honest with you, as I always say, we're all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the Survivor Squad. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's get into it.
I'm not going to lie. When I first connected with you, I had no idea your story. And I, I wanted to connect with you anyways, you know, because you were from Irvine, you were a lawyer. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is a really huge thing that happened. And you were so, it's such a prominent story. And it's so big in the news right now, too. How is it even dealing with the media and the situation? Yeah, that that's a really good question. I was very reticent at the beginning to be publicly associated with this case because you, all that stuff goes through your head, right? I'm going to live on the internet forever. And this is so intimate and private. I, I don't want to walk in a room and everybody goes, oh, there's that victim, you know, and then there's that choice of, you know, when I have kids and they're going to see it and whatever. Um, so that was a big decision to come forward publicly, um, which I did live on ABC TV at the 2018 ESPY Awards. That was like when I first came out and I had like next door neighbors from growing up being like, I had no idea this happened to you until I saw it. Um, it's a little bit like getting shot out of a cannon, which I'm sure you guys can relate to. Um, and since then, you know, because my career is now oriented around this topic, I end up having to talk about my own personal trauma over and over and over and over and over. And, you know, sometimes it's easier than others. Um, sometimes I'm able to sort of compartmentalize. And then sometimes, you know, like when my perpetrator got stabbed in prison 10 times two weeks ago, and I was on every major news show um, being asked how that made me feel, I felt sick again. And I felt upset and I cried and I, you know, took a couple days to just chill. Um, it's still, it's still hard. It still affects, I mean, it's human, right? Like, and, and I think with your stories too, you know, I, I knew your stories because I watch Netflix. Do you know what I mean? Like your story almost precedes you as a person. And do you ever feel like sometimes you're like, that's not a, just a Netflix show. That's my real life. Do you feel <laughs> like that? A hundred percent because I associate Julia Gardner with me. Yeah. And so people are like, how come you can't watch Ozark? She's different. And I'm like, I still associate her with me. Yes. Yes. Like that's, that wasn't just a Netflix show. I really knew that person. Yeah. They were really in my house. This was real. This incident happened. Like, I think sometimes the media, I love them, but it's a story. And I think sometimes we're expected to, you know, compartmentalize or dissociate from the fact that it is a story. Yes. And I know that a lot of people are interested in, but I was really there. It was real, my real life. I really knew this person. He really knew me, you know, that was real. Um, I went home recently to Michigan to help my mom move out of, um, our home and she's downsizing. And so it was a lot of like going through all the old photos and all the old leotards and all the old trophies. And it was like, I, 
again, like we talk about survivors having good days and bad days. It was really, 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 really hard. Um, because even sometimes I forget <laughs> that it, like that was real and here it all is, you know, and I found like notes, you know, from my perpetrator and little cards and little things. And I'm like, oh, oh man, that's a bad day. You know, it's still just like, how did we end up here? Um, how did we end up here? You know, and I'm sure you guys can relate to that too. I know that for me, I had to go through, well, John was different. I was like, this is a bad guy from the moment I met him. I don't like him, his energy, but with other abusers, I've had to detach from the fact that they were not a great guy. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine you reading those letters and just being like, having that attachment still in a sense, but how did you feel then? Yeah, that's a really good question because most of the time people don't want to go there because they don't want to hear me say that you can love somebody and they can be an evil perpetrator at the same time. Um, and I'm sure, especially with parental abuse, that must be the toughest pill to swallow because you're 100%. literally you know, your eyes open out of the womb and there's your parent, right? Like that parental attachment is there literally from the womb. Um, so that I can't even imagine that, but yeah, like I really loved this person. I really believed in him. I really thought he was wonderful. I, and then when you find out that they're not, you're like, but does that just like make all that love go away? How do you stop? But remember this time and remember. So that's like, to me, that's been a huge mind game. Um, and I think some days I still deal with that because, you know, you see the thing about him getting stabbed and so many people are like, yay, he deserved it. He's a monster. And in my head, I'm like, is he okay? You know, I don't yeah. want him to get stabbed, <laughs> um, you know? And, and it's not because I'm protective, but I, you never, it's, it's still hard. It's still hard. I don't wish, I don't wish harm upon anybody. And that speaks more to me than to what he did. Do you know what I mean? That's who I am. I, I at some point have to just bless and release. <laughs> No. You know, so to that note, somebody recently pointed out something about Tara to me. They said that they were, they were, I don't know if they had seen it in the documentary or they'd seen it in the Dirty Dawn show, but after the stabbing, Tara was very concerned about his family. There was something that she kept saying, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Tara, but this is what somebody presented to me last week. They said, you know, she kept asking about the family, like his family, what is, is his family going to be okay? And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely did. I okay. didn't want them to hate me. I didn't want them to have to mourn his death. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But I think that th that's the thing is, is that I, I think a lot of people mistake in these situations because they're angry. They're like, oh, well, how, you know, he, I, he's a monster. No, oh, he deserves to get stabbed. And, and, um, you know, I, I mean, when I saw that, I was kind of like, well, you know, what did you expect? Right. Like it did, did it take this long, but I was thinking to myself, like, you know, this is what happens to people that do these types of things in prison, right? But again, I, I fully understand what you're saying because I feel the same thing about way about my father. My father's 80 years old and I'm I'm thinking about like he's getting, you know, he's not going to live forever. And 
yeah, he's a horrific person, but he's still my father. And I still will mourn when he passes away. I'll be upset by that. Yeah. And that's okay. And that is absolutely okay. And I wish more people would talk about that. You know, that's okay for you to feel that. And that's okay for Tara to care about his family because that's who you're, you are. That's your heart. That says more about your beautiful, kind heart than about their actions. I think both and both can be true at the same time because otherwise it's black and white. And and that's not how the human psyche works. It doesn't work in black and white. There's room to hate somebody and still mourn the loss of them at the same time or to think about their family when they like, you know what I mean? That's both and, and I wish people, more people would understand that it's not as black and white as, as those in the peanut gallery <laughs> when it's right, not their right. real life and their real dad and their real, you know, friend or, you know, whatever might, you know, think, you know, I love that you pointed that out. Did you ever see as good as it gets? With Jack Nicholson. So remember when they're in the car and Greg Kinnear was going to go see his dad and his dad hates him because he's gay and all this stuff. And he's telling the story about pulling the ball of sweating money out. And and I think Helen Hunt is like, you know, we all have these sad stories. And Jack Nicholson goes, no. Some people have wonderful stories, beautiful stories of vacations on the lake, good times, noodle salad. And they all get upset. He goes, good times noodle salad and that's the thing is that people good times i think about that all the time because you talk with these normal people and it's like yeah life is great when it's good times and noodle salad like i don't know i have no idea what that feels like exactly oh i'm right there with you guys i'm yeah. right there with you we're part of the club that we never asked to be a part of <laughs> that's my tagline every episode i say we're all a part of a club that no one really wants to be a part of but we're all a part of the survivor squad yes. but it's so true and it's and i hear people okay so this and i don't mean to kvetch <laughs> but you hear about people's stories and i always say like trauma is very interpretational right but some people i feel like try to kind of try to be a part of the club by creating more out of their life and it's kind of like no man like your parents were there at the baseball like everything everything was super hunky-dory in your life like you don't want to be you don't be proud that you're not a part of this club be happy that you're not a part of this that you had to deal with any of this in your life because it sucks A hundred percent. And I see that like with millennials and they're like, my mom didn't like make my breakfast every morning. So I need to go to therapy, (laughs) you know, and you're like, well, it's worse. (laughs) There are worse things, you know? Totally. Well, I think trauma is still trauma. You know, if you didn't get a part in your childhood, you should always like reparent yourself, get that part. But like what we went through was extreme and not everybody goes through that. And it's just, I feel like I thought I was having the noodle salad, but I really wasn't. (laughs) No noodle salad for you, Tara. No noodle salad. Like, you know, you're thinking like, oh, this is great. This is fun. And then later in life, you're like, we, my body's feeling this again. And holy crap. Um, yeah, that was trauma. 
It's trauma. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. When did you kind of realize what the trauma was? Well, it took, like I mentioned, other other women coming forward about that quote unquote medical treatment and me having a daughter at that point to really say, holy crap, that was not normal. Um, and, you know, some people, it took them a while to wrap their mind around it. Um, my friend, my my former teammate sent me an article about it with one woman or a couple women coming forward. And I, all I saw, it was on my text message. So all I saw was the headline. I didn't even click on it yet. And it said something like, you know, former USA or USA gymnastics team doctor being investigated for child sexual abuse or something like that. I didn't even need to open it. It's like that moment that slows down in time where your whole life flashes in front of you and you're like, oh my God, like I didn't even open it. And I knew I was like, holy shit. I mean, holy shit. That was not right. Um, and I, and I don't know why it only took me that one instant and it took other people longer and vice versa. There's no right way. Right. But it was, um, one of those moments. And then I had to sit with that for a while, um, and really go back through, you know, my memories and, and just memory upon memory upon memory, I'm like, okay. And then this time this happened and this happened and this, and this, like, it's just the whole paradigm of what I thought my life was like blew up in one second. Like you think you're going down this path and screeching halt. Holy crap. I guess your life was totally different than what you thought it was, you know? And that was really hard. That took many years to work through, um, anger, frustration, denial, um, sadness, depression, anxiety. I mean, I've run the gamut. Um, and some of those things still pop up and rear their ugly heads from time to time. Um, they call it a healing process for a reason. It's a process. <laughs> um, so yeah. It, and, but then we, it, we were right in the middle of the legal stuff. And so it's like an adrenaline um, that you have to like keep going in this and talk about it da, 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 to make sure that this person doesn't get access to kids anymore. And um, so it was a process. And some days, like I mentioned, I still have to pinch myself. And I'm like, how do you guys eat from California even know this name? This was in Michigan. What do you mean? You know, um, it's really sometimes still like a weird thing to, to, to reconcile for sure. Well, he was in Michigan state too. Wasn't he the doctor for Michigan state? Yeah. Spartans. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I grew up in Ohio, so I knew I know a lot about I know about a lot Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Do you think it? You know, I didn't know he pled guilty, but do you mm -hmm. think that that you know he's a monster, and we, mm -hmm. we we can all agree that what he did was was monstrous? But do you think that it all? This might not be popular with some people, but I'm just going to say it anyways. Do you think that that by him pleading guilty, do you think that that was a a small like a modicum of, of humanity of maybe him just saying i'm not going to put people through this and i'm going to just 
you know, it's, I, I did it and I'm just not going to, because, you know, they could drag out a trial for years and then that's compounding upon all of the abuse that all these victims went through because this gets just dragged out. Are they going to mention me? Am I not going to be mentioned? Am I going to have to come out? Like, you know, all the anxiety. Do you think that that speaks a little bit to his humanity that he actually just pled guilty? Unfortunately, no. And I'll tell you why. I wish it did. Um, But that he pled guilty in the state court cases when he had already been found guilty on federal child pornography cases. So he had 37,000 images of child pornography on his computer hard drive that was recovered. And so he had a 60 year sentence in his federal child porn case going into the state court case. So he didn't stand a chance. So I think I didn't know that. I don't know a lot about this because I kind of tuned it out yeah. a little bit. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. No, Most people don't realize that. But yeah, in the state court case, it was kind of like his ship is sunk. So why even try? Um, Got it. Okay. Nope. For the rest of his life. Yeah. Actually, so, way yeah. worse. So <laughs> was he was he investigated and busted on this child pornography? 37th. I mean, that's crazy. Um, images. Is that how all of this came out? Was that like the... Sort of. So he was being investigated for these allegations and then they found the child pornography. So it was this first... And then then a female um, lieutenant staked out his house and the the, the hard drive was in his trash can on the side of the road about to be picked up. And the trash people came late that day and the female police officer was staked out and said, I got a warrant, I'm going through his trash. And she found it in the trash can. And so that's how the porn was found. 37,000 images, I'm told it included some of his own children. Um, And so that's how that happened. And I'll say, the allegations were not believed until the child porn. So I have so many teammates that when the allegations came out and he was under investigation before the porn was found, they went right to his side and said, we love you. You would never, those girls are liars. They're whores. They just want attention. They just want money. And nobody believed the victims until the child porn was found. And so how many times do you think that happens? We got the gift of that child porn being found because then everybody was like, okay, they were telling the truth, you know? But what if that had never been found? What if that had gone out with the trash? He could still be doing this today, you know? That's wild. And so I'm sure, you know, there are perpetrators out there that have gotten away with it because people say, no, he's the best doctor. He's the best coach. He would, he's the best priest. He would never do that. Not father so-and-so, you know, and, and they're still defending them because they didn't have the gift of that hard evidence that we had in our case. Um, But I'm sure that happens all the time where there's not enough for somebody to be charged. And so they 
get off. And the community defends them and adores them and gives their children back to that person to take care of and care for. And they continue perpetrating um, because there isn't that evidence that's found. And that's a damn, damn shame when that happens. And I'm afraid it probably happens more often than not. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Heavy stuff. Yeah. I know you're a lawyer now. Is this what you practice is these type of cases? This is exactly what I do. So before this all happened, I was not doing this. I was, people always say, did you become a lawyer because of this? And I'm like, no, I'm way too old for that. I became a lawyer like 15 plus years ago um, in my 20s for no good reason. Um, I was one of those, like, I have nothing else to do. Might as well go to law school. Um, and once this happened and I went through my own case, um, I said, you know, I there need to be more women doing this work and there need to be more survivors doing this work. Um, and because I had gone through it myself, um, this is what I do now. And I'll, I'll clarify for all of those people who have not gone to law school, um, I don't practice criminal law. So I don't work for the state and I can't prosecute a criminal. Um, I'm a civil lawyer, so I can sue the entities who enable predators. I can sue the predators on behalf of the victims themselves. Um, criminal cases, as I'm sure you know, are brought by the state versus the perpetrator. They're not brought by the victim. The victim serves as witnesses um, in the case, but, but what I get to do is actually represent um, the victims, the survivors themselves, and um, and sue on their behalfs. And so that's what I do. My firm is based in Irvine, California with offices in New York, um, Delaware, uh, Maryland now, and, and other jurisdictions um, as, as you know, cases transpire and we, and we get involved. And it's truly the honor of my lifetime to get to do this work. It's the honor of my lifetime because I get to meet somebody um, where they're still unsure, they're unsteady, maybe afraid, maybe, um, you know, not understanding of the legal process at all, which I was, wasn't either because I had never been involved in a lawsuit before, you know, that's not something we do every day. Um, and, and to be able to walk them through that process is really beautiful to be able to break it down in a way that's understandable, easily digestible. I just got off the phone with a client right before I hopped on a, a mother and father of two minor victims in a case. And I said, it's my job to make this as easy on you as possible. And, you know, you sit back and relax when I need you, I'll call you. Otherwise you focus on your kids and on your life and let me do my job, you know? And, and, and that's, um, something that's been really an honor for me and has, I think, contributed a lot to my healing is to be able to, to say, well, yeah, that happened and that was really crappy, but now I can do something about it. You know what I mean? That's great. It's fantastic. Good times, noodle salad. <laughs> <laughs> noodle 
<laughs> I'm always going to think of you whenever I hear that now. <laughs> salad. Yeah, because it gets grueling. Like I listen to literal like baby rape stories, you know, all day and child, you know, abuse and, and adult you know, I talk to adults who were abused as kids who their life has been complete shambles because of it. Right. Um, and, and so it's heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. You know, it's, it's not just Tuesday at, at the office, you know, it's Tuesday comforting parents whose kids were both abused, you know, and they said to me today, you know, I could, I could kick myself. I, I'll never get over how bad I feel. I, how did I not notice it or recognize it or whatever? And I said, you and everybody else, you know, you, you were a victim too of grooming. Um, and, and so, you know, it's not just Tuesday at the office. It's literally hoping to be a voice in their lives that, that can make them, you know, stand a little bit taller amidst trauma and amidst a crisis and amidst yeah. immense pain. You know what I mean? So, um, it's heavy stuff, which is why getting to talk to you guys and feel, you know, your strength and your energy, um, and see what you've overcome is, is really food for <laughs> my soul. Well, thank you. Well, thank mm -hmm. you. Do you, do you think there's a rise in this type of violence? Or are we sort of seeing the decline of it with more awareness? I hope there will be a decline. I think it, we're still getting there. I think what we've seen is just exposure, right? Like, I don't think anybody yeah. talked about this. I think it was always happening, but there wasn't, you know, the social media, there wasn't media, there wasn't podcasts, there wasn't, you know, places where people could go to get resources. Like it was like, a four letter word. I mean, like the, the concept of abuse or sex abuse of children, like you don't talk about that, you know, yeah, absolutely. it's too ugly for people to want to talk about. And now we're having the conversations and we're seeing these, these, these guys get popped and we're seeing these institutions get popped and dismantled and safeguards, you know, being employed. And so I think it's a less, safe environment for a predator to exist because there are people watching now. There are people talking about it now. Um, so I hope that things are getting better. I hope that for my kids, you know, I, I don't think there will ever be a world in which abuse doesn't happen. I don't. Um, I think there will always be pedophiles. There will, there will always be interrelationship violence. Um, there will always be these psychiatric disorders that lead people to be absolute lunatics and to harm others. But I think the awareness is just growing and growing and growing and growing. Um, and hopefully people are getting better at recognizing some of those things earlier. They're talking to their kids. Sure. They're learning about it. Like if you were to ask my mom, who's in her mid seventies, you know, what grooming was, what was grooming, you know, back in the eighties, she wouldn't have had any idea, you know, everybody just bought whatever others were selling them hook, line and sinker. Cause we were trusting. We didn't know. We didn't have that word. I don't think at least I never learned it. I never heard about it. That's where you, you know? take your doggy. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dog grooming. Grooming your hair. I think of a brush. Exactly. I know. Well, what would you say to someone that is kind of navigating, should I come out about my story? Should I press charges? That is kind of navigating that scenario right now. You know, I think um, there can be real healing in reporting. I think there can be real healing in the legal process. I think there are not always forgiving laws when it comes to things like statutes of limitations, both on the criminal side and the civil side. That's a passion of mine. I work very hard on getting those extended because who's to say when somebody should come forward? That's your own personal process. And when you're ready, um, you know, you have the ability to file a lawsuit if you want to. So um, laws are not always forgiving, but I think it's I've just, there's no right answer. There's no cookie cutter answer, but I would say um, that I've seen some real healing and in, in, in taking back your power. Um, there's something beautiful about seeing someone who harmed you or an institution who harbored this person that was supposed to be protecting you held accountable and be called a defendant. <laughs> you know, um, there's something really cool about that. And um, so I would say, you know, there's, there are communities of survivors that probably all have different takes on that question. And I would say, reach out, don't be alone, don't hide in the shadows. You know, you're not alone, you did nothing wrong. And there are there are some really beautiful communities and people and resources out there um, and some lawyers who really care um, and law enforcement officials who do really care. And if the first 10 people you tell don't take you seriously, knock on the door of the 11th. You know, it's um, it's not always ideal when we come forward. Sometimes people don't know how to receive that. Um and especially with friendships or family members or whatever. So um, if if you're not met with understanding and compassion, try, try, try again. There's no reason to carry secrets alone. It's toxic. It will kill you. It will medically impair your, you know, bodies and your DNA. So don't carry that shame and don't carry those secrets. That's good advice. Sage advice for sure. Yeah, it's to be to see that person or like you said, institution be put as the defendant is very cathartic. I think any time in life when you can turn the tables on someone who's done harm to you or a loved one or society as a whole is, is a good is a good day. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a different ending, but I like your guys's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, but I had the best ending because he would have sent, well, I know for a fact that he sent people after other people in jail and stuff. So it would have just been never ending, like getting threats. Yeah. 
Right. On and on and on. And always having to look over your shoulder. You know what I mean? And that is no way to live. Nobody deserves to live like that. Yeah. But I think for all of us, we got, I hate to say this, like pretty good endings for all of our stories in a sense. Well, I think we got justice. Yeah. Or what people would recognize as justice, you know, and a lot of I think one of the unfortunate things when I got into the, doing this and I had made my film and people started reaching out to me, I, I started discovering how little people get a resolution, let alone having someone be held accountable or, or going, or, or going to, to prison or face having their feet put to the fire, but even getting some sort of acknowledgement that this person did wrong, whether it be from a family member, like, I'm sorry this happened to you, or, you know, not in, forget the perpetrator, just some acknowledgement of what, like, what they went through, what that trauma was they went through. So for us to see it through to, you know, a means to an end, if you will, and there's that, I hate to use this word, but closure, because there never really is a closure, but it's a perceived closure, is quite extraordinary and very, right. very rare. I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. It's it's the rare case that gets that kind of closure. And in our case, it was law enforcement and it was a amazing female prosecutor. Um, and it was the bravery of those first few people who stepped out and, and, and put their names and their faces or their stories behind this. And, you know, I wasn't one of them. Um, and I will never stop having gratitude for, for them. Um, and that's, those are the real heroes in this who, who were able to stop a prolific serial pedophile. They put themselves on the line for sure. Well, well, I think your journey is incredible too. And what you did is incredible. So, you know, give yourself credit as well. <laughs> I took the baton and I'm running with it um, in, in, the, in the legal realm, right? In, in the yes. advocacy realm. Um, but yeah, I... I, my brain did not compute. And I think that that story can be helpful for others who are still in that um, confused space, right? And, and so I think it can, can be helpful for people to see not only the heroic acts of, of those who came first and came before me and law enforcement and the prosecutor, but also those who were so uh, groomed that they just didn't get it. <laughs> that was me. That was me. Well, I think that's the perfect note to end on, unless you want to say anything else or call your, you want to ask a question. I'm good. I'm good. Since your network is struggling. Yes. <laughs> well, Sarah, where can we find you on social media, your podcast, your law firm? Absolutely. So I'm mostly an Instagram user at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-G Klein, K-L-E-I-N. Um, my law firm is called Manly, Stewart and Finaldi. The website is Manly, M-A-N-L-Y, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T.com. I 
used to dance around on Twitter a little bit, but uh, not so much anymore. And my podcast is on Apple or anywhere you find your podcast. It's called Bar Fights. And it's sort of a little play on words in terms <laughs> of... Uh, in terms of getting scrappy and getting justice. And, and, and the tagline for the show is taking on issues that matter. And, and it's not just based of, uh, around abuse, but there's all sorts of issues that we bring up there. And um, and it's a fun. It's, it mixes it up for me a little bit. But mostly you can find me uh, practicing law at manlystewart.com. Well, as I already teased... There's something that I always tell Tara. I say, we're all a part of a club that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the Survivor Squad. Sarah Klein, thank you so much for joining the program and sharing your story. It's been an honor. I adore you both. Thank you so much for having me. It was pretty heavy. Yeah. Wow. But way for her to turn something that was so traumatic for her into something that's been so positive for other people. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's why we do this podcast, right? And that's why you do your coaching and your advocacy, why I do my advocacy, why we share our stories is to ignite these conversations with people and let them know that they're going to be okay. Yeah. And I think it's really great that at least like we connected not knowing like, well, I think she knew my story, but I didn't know hers. And I was just yeah. like, oh, you're from Irvine, California, and you're a lawyer. I want to connect with you. And I honestly thought she was friends with my friend Lacey. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. And she seems like she would just be a part of our group. Yeah, so I was, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, well, I think I think we're going to have your, you said you're going to connect with her for the true crime meetups that we do here in Southern California. Oh, yeah. No. And, you know, we're doing one in Austin as well. So if you guys are yes. going to be in Austin, please let us know. DM us. Send us an email. Go to our website. You can always email us yeah, there, you can find right? Us on so yeah, you can find us on social media. And, you know, not only are we going to be doing them in Austin, but we're going to be doing them in, in Orlando for CrimeCon, which is the end of September, September 22nd to the 25th, something like that. And we're also going to do them uh, at True Crime Obsessed Fest or Obsessed Fest in Dallas the end of October. So come check us out. We're going to do, there's all kinds of fun stuff. You can obviously keep up with us on all of our social medias at Survivor Squad Pod or whatever, wherever our handles are, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, link, link in bio is in the description. <laughs> We're everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. The TikTok, the Instagram, the YouTubes. Well, not YouTube, not yet. I'm on YouTube, but you know. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. See ya. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.